from surviving to thriving in mind, body, and spirit. Hey there, I'm Andrea Jones, registered nurse, functional hormone coach, inner healing and deliverance pastor, and most importantly, wife and mother of two beautiful girls. This podcast is really a conversation about how to discover and walk in an abundant life that rhymes with outburst, and honestly, what I call a messy middle, pain, and overcoming things in our life that are hard, built, and nurture all of the good to be so that you can walk in abundant wellness in all areas. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Abundant Wellness Podcast. We have the incredible privilege of having Amy Gans, founder of Ames and Olives um, uh, catering business. I almost said charcuterie business, but that's not, you do more than that. So, yeah, um, it is the charcuterie business. It's her cheese biz, as she calls it. um, And she is phenomenal at it. Um, But the reason that we have Amy on the podcast today is because we, we are continuing the series on shame. And this episode is all about really overcoming shame in the area of infidelity, infidelity, adultery, um, brokenness in marriage. And so this is, it is a heavy topic. Um, so we may break it up with some laughter kind of throughout because Amy's hilarious and that's what she does. Um, but I, it's going to be powerful because Amy, your story and how you've chosen to walk out this journey with your boys and with your now ex-husband, um, it has not been without blood, sweat, and tears, but you've really chosen a high road in this process. And I think, um, really helping people to see that there is a way through, there is a way out and, um, and that it doesn't have to mean that you stay broken. It doesn't have to mean that everything is falling apart forever. And so I just want to give you permission to share whatever you feel comfortable sharing with. I know that I have several listeners that are going to just be so blessed by your story. Um, And so why don't you just kind of start with sharing a little bit about who you are and where, um, yeah, where this story kind of started to unfold for you. Yeah. Um, first, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, I know I've, I've, I've been writing about my journey through grief um, and pain, kind of just like mostly through social media. So this is kind of one of my like real first experiences of being able to kind of share, you know, my story so vulnerably and, and publicly. Um, but I always kind of knew that I, I had wanted to. And so um I'll kind of take us back. I'll give you the, for sake of time, like the cliff notes version, because we could be here for forever. But um, it kind of really went back to 2019, um, where it, it started. And it's interesting, because like, people will say that, you know, 2020, the start of the pandemic was like the worst year that anybody ever lived through. And I would, looking back, relive 2020 a thousand times over what 2019 did to me um and so kind of what happened i had been married for um 13 13 years before my divorce finalized and was a ministry family we have three beautiful boys um and so this really all started about yeah four or five years ago and um there had been some 
tension happening for a while. And I remember calling my um, pastor at the time and I just like, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what was wrong. And I remember calling him and I just was crying. I was like, something is wrong. And I don't, I don't know what's wrong. And he's like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think everything seems fine. And I know your husband really loves you. And I was like, well, but something's wrong. And I, I, I can't put my finger on it. And so it was kind of that phone call that was the catalyst for um, being brought into a meeting one day. I got a, a text message. I was at work and it, you know, the text was, hey, I need you to come into this meeting in a pastor's office. And um, I remember just like this sinking feeling in my stomach that I was like, I'm going to hear something really bad. And I don't know what it is, but I just feel like it's going to be really, really bad. And I remember going to my manager and saying, hey, I need to leave for a meeting and I don't know if I'll be coming back. Um, and she said, well, what do you think you're going to be hearing in this meeting? And I said, I mean, I don't know. I said, maybe, maybe my husband has, is having an affair. Maybe he's had an affair. And she was like, yep, you definitely won't be coming back to work. And, Thanks. and so, yeah, so I, I wasn't prepared for what I, for what I was going to find out in this meeting. And so I leave work and, um, I show up and it's, you know, our pastor, his wife and, and my husband, and, um, I sit down, nobody can really look me in the eyes and, you know, pastor moves a box of Kleenex in, you know, on the coffee table, like kind of towards me before anything had even come out. And I, I sit down next to his wife. I like pull my knees up to my chest, like just kind of like tuck myself in a ball. And I tipped over and I just started wailing, like just crying. I was like, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to hear. I just feel like it's just going to end here. Yeah. Um, and so in that in that meeting, um, short version, you know, they had brought him in and out for a, a period of about an hour and a half for me to find out um, really about every affair that he had had over the course of seven years. Um, and the worst part was like, I knew I knew several of these women and mm -hmm. Um, one being like my best friend in the church and one being a family member, one being people that like I was close to. And, um, and it's interesting because a lot of women, when they find out about, you know, they kind of refer to it as like the day of discovery. And when they find out about, you know, their husband's like indiscretions, a lot of them actually feel almost a sense of relief because they like the radar was coming out or was, was, was up like, or yeah. they had this intuition that something was wrong. And so when they find out the truth, they actually feel this like sense of relief that like, I'm not crazy. I can trust right. my intuition. Um, I never had that. So I never, like my radar was never up for that. Never had questioned his integrity that way. And so to find out in one meeting to feel like, wow, my whole, almost the entirety of my marriage has been this like huge lie was like the most devastating, debilitating experience that I had ever right. like lived through. And um, I remember even just like feeling like I had to introduce myself, like, hi, I'm so-and-so and I don't know you and I don't, I don't know this person. Um, you know, and so it was after that, that, you know, he, he left, we separated. Um, and so I just remember driving home 
and not knowing what to do, you know, and I, I know later, like sitting in therapy, you know, you, you learn about like the five stages of grief, you know, and I, I remember I just was in such this, this state of shock. I didn't, I sat down on my floor. I came home, I sat down on my living room floor and I couldn't move. And I just, I literally was like, I don't, I don't even know who to call. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know, you know, it's like this bomb goes off in your life, you know, and there's just, there's just shrapnel everywhere and you don't know what to do, who to call other than to just sit in it and to, to just sit in this, you know, shattered pieces of your story. And I remember one of the first things that I thought of was like, I can't believe this is my story. Like I was so, that was actually the first thing I was so upset about was like, you know, normally you would think it would be like rage. You know? okay. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> that came later. It did. Um, but like the first thing that I, I remember experiencing was like these feelings of humiliation of like, how could I be so blind or how could I be so stupid that I missed this for mm-hmm. almost a decade? You know, how did I not see this? How did I, like, how did I not see the signs? How did it like, right. um, you know, and not like, you know, I always joke that, you know, I pay to be blonde, but I don't think I'm like a, a total <laughs> dummy. I just, <laughs> right. I, I just remember thinking like, how could you be so stupid? You know, how could you, you miss this? And so I remember feeling really um, just humiliated and like being so embarrassed that this was my, this was now my story and thinking like, and being, you know, kind of upset with God, like, God, I know that we're, we're, you know, we don't live a life without suffering, but couldn't you have given me something else? And I just remember trying to like bargain, you know, before you get to acceptance, I was like, couldn't you have just given me something else? I would have taken any, anything other than this, anything Mm -hmm. other than this, but what was delivered to me is this like, the ugliest, messiest, scandalous story that I was now at the beginning places of like, how do I recover? How do I move on? And I remember sitting there actually telling myself, I will never recover from this. Mm -hmm. I will never like, there's nothing worse than this. Like I, you know, and feeling the pain and the affliction in your own body before it really starts to break down due to trauma, I was like, this is it. Like, I won't recover. I won't live life beyond this. Um, And so that was really kind of the starting points of where everything just got really, really, really dark. Um, So, yeah. And so, and yeah. Um, And because we were, you know, talking about shame, really that was kind of like, where it started for me is I felt I was so embarrassed that I didn't know who to to talk to so I felt really isolated um and I think that that's really where shame first started or where it really kind of crept in for me was that it it caused me to feel really alone in this journey and I didn't know anybody that had lived through this spirit this experience like my mother had um And so I had, you know, I had my mom, but like, I didn't have anybody outside, you know, my circle that I think would really understand or really know, or who can I talk to or who, who like, who understands the craziness that is in now my, my world. And, um, 
And so that was really, really hard was like kind of the whole isolation piece of like, I don't want to share this with anybody. Like we're a ministry family. He takes a platform, like people know who we are and, um, you know, where do you go from here? And now I'm showing up in, in public places as not a, in a, a, a whole unit. Now I may, we yes. are a broken unit, you know? And so it's like your world gets really private and really small, but simultaneously like gets really public <laughs> without saying a lot. And so then it's like that concern of, well, those, you know, that those inner voices of, well, what is everybody thinking? And what is, um, what is the narrative that everyone's drawing up and people are raising questions. And it's like, and so having to live with all these like external voices, um, was really kind of the, where the shame piece really started for me. Absolutely. And within that it's, you know, it, it sounds like the story is very, similar to other, you know, other friends that I've had that have shared, you know, about their journeys with this. And it's that initial self-blame. I don't know a single person that, and then their initial response is how dare they like, it's that initial, how was I so blind? Like, why didn't I see this coming? You know? And I think that, that, that feeling of humiliation that you were talking about and, and then it's like layers are built upon layers, right. Of, who do I talk to? And all of a sudden you're calculating if I share this with them and I'm carrying all of this shame and let's say they're of the mindset that everything has to be reconciled and you have to just stick it out and you have to put up with it. Like there's some old school thoughts about that that may work in some situations, but absolutely don't in others, um, depending on how healthy the person is and how much they're willing to work through a process because there is, 100% a reconciliatory process that has to happen um, in order to stay there. And so I can just like, as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, I can just imagine myself being like calculating the conversations of the risk because it's so vulnerable to share what you're sharing and to say it to somebody who maybe doesn't know how to navigate that situation, right. Or doesn't know how to be your friend in that situation, or maybe they were friends with both of you. And so now they're on the defensive, like it's, it's a whole, it is a whole thing. And so how did you begin to, cause I'm, I'm sure at that point you're like swimming head underwater, right. Of all of the emotions. And so how did you begin to reach out for, like, I know that I need to start talking to somebody, like I need to start working through this and how do, how did you kind of start to open up about what had happened without, you know, without publicly humiliating him? Because I know that that was one of your kind of like your code of ethics, which was like, I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to cause you pain just because I'm in pain. Like that's a hard line to walk. It is an extremely hard line to walk. And so how did you kind of navigate through that? Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely, it was a process. And I remember talking with this pastor, um, right after that meeting, like, I mean, I'm just sitting, like my world had literally just stopped, like completely blown up. And I remember this pastor looking at me and he just said, he said, Amy, he goes, I want you to make a promise to me. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I want you to, um, make a promise that you won't reach out to any of these women. 
And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, okay. Yeah. I am out for blood. No, I'm kidding. I was, I mean, we made jokes. I was like, just keep me off an episode of Dateline. <laughs> and I remember that one of the things that was so pivotal, um, and I'm so glad he made me make this promise because he just says, he said, your heart is too big and too beautiful to be full of this much hatred. And he's like, and we're not going to abandon you to your trauma and to your grief and to your pains wow. and we're going to help you go through this. And so I think that the first, that was kind of the mo the first um, reassuring conversation that I had had of somebody saying, Hey, we're not leaving you here. Like we're actually going to sit with you in this. And, um, you know, and having just experienced the biggest rejection of my life, right? Like infidelity is rejection, it's abandonment. It's, um, and so I'm just now assuming like, and knowing that this, this had happened to me with people that were close to me, I'm now questioning my own judgment. Like, can I be close to people? Can I let people in? Can I let people walk me through this? Can I let people sit with me? Like, who can I trust with the shattered pieces now of my life? Like, who is anyone safe enough to help me rebuild? Can I rebuild? Is this possible? And so this person kind of reached out to people on my behalf. And that doesn't happen for everyone. Um, but I ended up just kind of getting these left field, like phone calls and text messages of, hey, I'm so and so, you know, somebody connected me with you. And I really want to sit, I really want to meet with you. And I really feel like I could, you know, help give some wisdom into into this journey. And like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, because you're in it for the long haul, like, this isn't like, I mean, when your life just falls apart and you feel like there's nothing worse than this, like it's a, it is a slow, like rebuild, you know, and, and then, and in the process of all of that, because the world is private and small, I'm now wondering like, well, who is safe? Who can I talk to that is going to think like, you know, cause everybody has their own opinions until they've like lived through it. Like everyone has an opinion on what they think they would do when this happens to them. So it's. I've, I've met people that were like, oh, well, if this is just me, I would, I would never forgive this person. And I, I would just be out. I just, I would just divorce immediately. I'm just out. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, would never, it's like, it's almost this, this sign of, of disrespect to yourself to stay. Right. And then on the opposite mm -hmm. end of the spectrum, you have, you know, especially in the church and especially in evangelical culture, this huge emphasis that it's like, you don't divorce at any cost and you, 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 you do the work, you you know, you do the grueling work, you put in the fight to, to reconcile and restoration is the ultimate, you know, yep. plan God has for your life. And, and, and both, both on, on, on uh, each side of the spectrum are equally unhealthy, I think. Right. And, um, and so I had, so when I made this decision to forgive, to walk in forgiveness, to reconcile, because, you know, my husband had, wanted to reconcile he wanted to walk through the the process of you know restoration and healing in his own life and so we kind of had to now go on these separate journeys you know of his through addiction and healing and mine through trauma and you know and so um having to do that privately and then wondering like okay well who's going to be with me here who's going to be with him here who's going to see us both you know whole like your your team is gets just really kind of small and so um but for the people that 
showed up for me that it was actually really kind of surprising and i don't know if this is like super common but i just i just had a lot of left fielders that mm. were really miraculous for me in that season and i i it it was more heartbreaking um to walk through the process with the expectation that the, that the people that i thought would show up for me really didn't mm-hmm. um and i lost i lost a lot of loved ones in that season and that right. so it was like compounded this compounded year of more trauma and pain and more devastation and more relational brokenness that I didn't expect to walk Mm -hmm. through post discovery day you know um but where where it was really redeeming for me was kind of people just setting me up with like people that I had never met like hey I've got so and so that I think would be really great for you you know to to be in your corner Um, and then one of the best things that I did for myself in that year to, to heal and try, at least try to recover, um, somebody got me plugged in with this support group that was local, didn't even know these existed. Um, and she said, Hey, there's this community, there's this program for, it's a faith-based, um, program. It's like your own 12 week (laughs) program that you go through, um, you know, with, with a coach. Um, and it's, she goes, it's for wives, you know, that have been betrayed that are, have walked through betrayal trauma that understand, um, you know, how hard and devastating this is. And, and at that point I was so like, I had lost everything by this point that I was just willing to try anything. Like I, like, I knew that if I didn't take aggressive steps to heal that I would probably sit in my own brokenness, you know, forever. You know, I, I know people that have been betrayed and have walked through broken marriages and they never recovered, you know, and I've, I've seen the bitterness in them literally decades later. And, and I think that that was helpful for me to see the picture of what that looked like and the years that it took on their life. And I remember seeing how much I, like didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be this way. I don't think I had it in me to be this person. And and I think truthfully, like if I let that narrative, if I let what happened to me destroy my life, I think people actually would understand. You totally. know? Yep. But it just wasn't the narrative that I wanted to live. So I knew that if I didn't go after healing really aggressively that I don't know if I ever would have and so i i joined this group i joined this this community of women none of us know each other and we had to do a lot of really difficult assignments Mm -hmm. we had to be really really vulnerable and so that was the first place that i could really share my story that was one of our homework assignments we had to actually spend a week writing down our stories and then sharing them publicly amongst this group of you know women that that i didn't know you know, and some of them had been, you know, a year into their journey. Some of them had found out a week prior, you know, and you just, the, they just look ill, you know, like the, right. the, I think we're all just like the color in our faces is just gone, you know, and right. we're all just physically ill. And so we all went around and we shared our stories. And I remember after I was done sharing mine, like the room was just really quiet and one girl kind of just popped up and she just goes damn you know and it's so it's like people 
recognize. Yeah. We're like, um, thank you so much. For yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I don't know. It's as bad as it oh, sounds. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, but it so, is. Yeah, I know. I was like, next. Yeah. And so yeah. it's but for me to be able to write out this entire story to down, you know, down to the details. Um, I think we're kind of some of the first steps that I, I took in really becoming, um, I don't know, confident in knowing I could share with people that there, there are safe places. There are safe, um, people, there are people that want to see you through and, um, you know, and, and I just honestly expected that people would just bail or they would, you know, they'd be here for a little bit and like, well, these person, these people betrayed me. So why wouldn't these people? And it's like, mm -hmm. you're just in a really terrible headspace for a long time until um, really good redeeming people convince you otherwise. And, right. and so it was community like that, that kind of helped me alleviate a lot of the shame of my story because I, I mean, I think really, um, I mean, some of those powerful things you can say to somebody who's struggling is like, I understand. Um, I've been there. I get it. Like, you know, me too. It's, it's the whole, the whole me too movement. Like right. it's really are some of the most, I think, powerful things you can say to somebody in grief and in pain. And when their life is, you know, completely destroyed is to say like I understand and to like extend empathy was like the first time I realized I could let my guard down and I could say okay right. I can I'm you know I I there's not I can remove the wall like I can share right. I can like I'm not alone here in this journey. Like I don't have to be isolated. I actually don't even have to be embarrassed and humiliated anymore. Like, mm, like we powerful. all are, yeah, like we're all, we all want to see each other through. And some of those women in there were really fighting for rec reconciliation. Some of them were in the process of the divorce. And, and so to be able to sit with those women and to like contend with them in whatever decision they felt was was right for them, you know, right. like was some of the most healing months in my life. Cause real it's, it's hard. Cause really no one, no one talks enough about the courage and the bravery that it takes to stay mm -hmm. um, after somebody has been horrible to you. And then like, no one else, I feel like I'm not, not no one, but a lot of people also don't talk about the courage and bravery that it takes to leave. Right. And so it was the first group that I felt like I was a part of where it's like, none of us are, we're not making decisions for one other, another. We're like, we're just here with you day by day. We're just here right. to help your nervous system, like regulate again. Right. And to be okay. And like, if you need to scream and cry and throw something like great, awesome like and if you like whatever and so um it was just kind of the most like uh it was the safest place that I could be where people felt like they could be 100 percent truthful right. and honest about their journey and their struggle because there really is so much shame that comes upon you when you talk about like the feelings that you have in your um 
you know, in, in your journey to heal, because right. I was, I was becoming a person. I didn't know that I could be, I was like, wow, I've didn't know that I could be like this unhinged. I didn't know that yeah. I could have ever experienced like, I mean, anger is healthy, but like I was, we're, we're, you know, you have let we're days where yep. we're at rage and you can't talk about, we don't no. talk about rage in the church because rage is not a fruit of the spirit. Rage is bad. <laughs> rage is bad. And if it's there, then there's it's something wrong. Yeah. It's, right? it does it, but here's the thing. When, when we experience a level of loss, on the right. earth that we were never created to experience, right. we will feel emotions that we were never created to feel. 100%. And that's why, that is why, and I just kind of took some notes on like some keys that I feel like you kind of dropped in there. So for the listeners that are like hearing your story and they're like, whoa, 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 this is amazing. Like just how you walked through that is that being validated in community, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And having a safe place to process the emotions and know that it's not that people are saying, Hey, Amy, you're going to camp out and rage for the rest of your life. Cause you had already made that choice. Yeah. I'm not going to stay here, but in order to not stay there, we have to feel everything that we don't everything. want to feel everything, yeah. everything, including the emotions that we don't like, including the emotions that make us feel bad about ourselves and, um, otherwise it's going to, it's going to come out in some other kind of way, like physical illness or chronic yes. illness or, you know, mental illness, like all of that stuff. That's that this is why developing that community. If you can't find it in your church, if you cannot find it in your relationships, this is where, you know, those support groups can become extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I kind of picked up on when you were, when you were talking is, the idea of really sharing the weight of mm -hmm. the shame that you were walking through and like allowing others to help you to like hold up that burden. Right. Because it, it's like shame was, it was put on you. It was not something you did yourself. It was not something you asked for. Right. It's something right. that came on you because of the experience that you had to walk through. And in order to heal from that, you know, we have to allow other people to come alongside and, and really, um, give voice to like, almost like mirror for you, what you're feeling, you know, and help to co-regulate with you because yeah. When something that traumatic happens, we have to co-regulate with somebody yep. like it had, it's God never created us. I don't believe to be able to fix that on our own. And so that's, I mean, I know there is so much more in that story and you're, you're not sugarcoating it at all in terms of what you had to walk through to, yeah. to heal. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think, um, you've made really clear, like, you know, just in our conversations, but also in this episode is I want to kind of talk about it just a little bit more is the idea of like, I'm not going to slander him. I'm not going to share all the nitty gritty details. I'm not going to, just because it might provide me temporary relief, right? That's not what's going to heal me. And there's so much wisdom in that because, you know, I, I grew up with an emo an emotionally abusive parent that mm -hmm. she was very dysregulated all the time. And so, um, the shame that I experienced was different kind of shame, but it was very much this idea of if I talk about it, yeah. I'm like, there's some, like, there's just this weird thing 
like weird belief thing that it's like, if I talk about it, I'm slandering them. If I do that, I'm defaming them, but there, there has to be a place to tell your story. Otherwise you don't heal. And so I think for you, like what you honed in on was really finding those safe places to share your story so that you didn't have to like go on social media and blast him or like call up all of those women and be like, lots of bad words (laughs) for you lady. Yeah. You know? Um, like, about oh, it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure I am. I am sure, you know, and I think Jesus was right there. Like, yeah, I get it. I feel you sister, but we're going to hold yeah. on tight to that, um, to that honor. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that that was, I'm sure that that added a whole other level of juggling for you. Yeah. Um, in how to navigate that, because it's not, you know, even in your anger and even in your rage, it's like your the heart of you is not wanting harm for them. You just want relief from your pain. And so right. it's finding a safe avenue, I think for, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but finding a safe avenue for, um, for that pain so that it's coming out in a healthy way. Um, so that you don't have to step into like retaliation or bitterness. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it really is a hard line to walk. The tension of wanting to share parts of your stories, especially as you heal and you get, you become whole again. I mean, because that in, in itself is like an, in, is a miracle really. Um, and, you know, I, I, I never ended up, my story did end in divorce and I just remember thinking like, man, I never got the reconciliation. I never got the restoration kind of a miracle that I had hoped for in my marriage. Um, but to experience it in my own life, I think was equally as celebratory to experience restoration and like in my own life was a, a testament to itself. And so because I wanted to share that because I wanted to now, I now felt like I had really tangible tools that I could give women, especially who have lived through this. Uh, sorry, my seven-year-old just walked in. Hey buddy. You're coming. Um, <laughs> um, in a minute, but can you give me a few minutes? Cause I am on a call. We're going to have to edit this. You're totally out. fine. It's all good. Hey, I love you too. Can you, can you, um, shut my door and then I will come get you as soon as I'm done. Thanks, Bubba. Okay. Bye. I knew, I just knew it. And I knew that if I, nope, locked it's, the door, it's not your kids, it would be one of mine. So I, 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 I knew that if I, I knew that if I locked the door, it would, you would hear like the banging. So anyways, what I was saying is I, I wanted to share the, the healing like tools that I had that, um, you know, that I, that were given to me, um, either just kind of in my own, I don't know, self revelations or through therapy or through community or whatever. I felt like as I began to heal slowly, um, that I was, I was, I, I recognized where the tide was turning. I remember there was a point a couple years ago. I mean, I would tell people would ask me how I'm doing, you know, and they just go, how are you doing? And I think for like three years, I was only ever to, I was only ever able to say, okay, I'm okay. You know? And I remember the first time I just blurted out and somebody said, you know, how are you doing? I've been thinking about you. I said, I'm good. 
And I like shocked myself because I was like, am I good? You know, am I, have we, have we arrived here? And I remember this person saying, you probably never thought you were going to say that. Did you, mm-hmm. you probably always thought you were going to say, wow. just okay. You're only ever surviving. And I think that that's where, you know, when you become, you know, it's hard to say, yeah, when you become a, a, a survivor of this, cause really it's, it, you are an abuse survivor. Like right. you are you are now in this category, which is difficult to talk about and to sit. I remember a therapist saying, you are in a category of, of survivors, like infidelity is marital abuse. And mm-hmm. to now be an abuse survivor and to now sit in support groups with other survivors, you're like, oh, well, now I'm, I'm kind of, I'm the statistic. Right. But for the longest time, you actually only feel like you're, you're only going to survive. Like, this is it. Like, and especially as you co-parent or especially if you're doing it alone like it really becomes the only world that you know for for what feels like an eternity it's like we're just surviving we are just i mean we're literally every day waking up and hoping for the best some people ask me all the time how do you you know co-parent or single parent um with three boys and you you know run your own business and i I think everybody wants like this profound like magical answer yeah I literally just say, no, I, I wake up and we hope for the best, like, because we have only known how to survive for so long. And so when the tide kind of turned and I kind of just blurted out, like, good, good mm-hmm. I realized I actually, that was the most honest thing that I could say in probably four years. Like I am okay. And it was this like revelation for me to be like, you've made it like you're, you know, mm. I mean, I think there's a part of me that always feels like I'm going to be healing in some way, but, but to know that I had kind of come out of the fire and I would come out like even more refined and more resilient and more like this didn't end me. Like if anything, this kind of birthed this new, like, I don't know, (laughs) resilient, like strong, yeah like this fortress yeah that just now i now now that i'm good like i we just refuse to be reckoned with and so to arrive there was so like incredible and miraculous for me and and so um i wanted to be able to share parts of my story because i had i had really sort of arrived in a place where i can walk in in healing and freedom and so i wanted to give those tools to other people so to get back to what you're asking, how, how do you do that appropriately with somebody that you still really care about and that you love? And I love this person as the father of my children. And I think because of the person that I am, I want everyone healed and I want them right. whole. I want them like everyone loves a good comeback story. You know, everyone right. loves somebody that turned their life around and like you you can leave your children a legacy if you want to and so that's always been my my hope you know for him right. and, and so but to know that i also feel the kind of this calling i should say to to want to share um you know my story of like hey there's real redemption here there's real like i'm i've i've turned a corner like i'm not going like my story it doesn't end here these were chapters yes but the story isn't over. So how do I tell women the same thing? Like, how do I get this message to them without it sounding like I'm dragging this person through the mud or I have all this bitterness or hatred? Like, 
I definitely did in the beginning. Like, right. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're you the not? way yeah. That, yeah, I mean, the ways that like your mind and heart are like so disassociated in trauma, I was like, oh no, I, I, you, you feel kind of just borderline crazy forever. Mm-hmm. And then as you begin to get, <laughs> you get better, um, like, I hated who I who I was becoming when I was bitter. I remember feeling it. I I was full of it. I mean, I you know, we made jokes in our support group that I was like, Do you have bail money and I will bail you out if you like yeah. me just yeah. like Right. It's real. <laughs> you know? And um I remember hating how I felt. Yeah. And the toll that it took on me mentally emotionally spiritually physically physically honestly the most it wore my body down i hated how i felt and i just remember crying to a friend because i was like i hate being this person and i i don't know this version of me and i don't want to be this version right i know that i am better than this and i know that like my kids deserve better and um and so it was it was a hard couple of years of figuring out how do i share stories of grief and trauma and triumph right. without having to give out so many details you know and people love they love the tea yeah you know people love we love gossip we love details you know people would message me personally and just be like hey well we just want to know what happened and then other people have messaged me and said like hey we noticed you know he's maybe not in your photos anymore you know right. it's so people get really bold and but either way there was like you you can't hide it you know especially when you're showing up alone and so I wanted to be able to share my story in a way that was still honoring to my family you know and yes it is it broken was it a broken unit yes um but I felt like there were ways that I can still write about pain and I can still share about grief um and overcoming because like I really wanted that so badly for other women who have also walked through this and who also feel so desperately alone. Absolutely. And so what would you say, I mean, cause you're, you have, you've taken the hard road, right? You've, you've committed to your healing and you've committed to like those core values of you and to your family, which is just, it takes so much courage, you know, like you were saying, either way you choose in this process, it takes courage, right? So what would you say to maybe somebody that's listening that's, you know, at any point in their process where they're realizing, like, shame is still very much like a prominent piece Mm -hmm. of my story? Um, Where are some avenues that you might point them to get help? That is a great question. Um, Yeah, I mean, getting help obviously is is the first step. I had to to submit myself really to a lot of um processes and and things um i knew that i had to aggressively go after it um so i mean i sat my butt down in therapy for three years um Mm -hmm. both in family counseling and then in in trauma therapy um i would say like i mean because really shame is so isolating because you feel you know you you feel that first sense of like humiliation and then and then you, cause you, there's just so many ex, like voices that come in. I would just say, you know, shame really is that like inner critic that's so loud that like it points and it laughs and it tells you that you failed, you know, you have, you have failed. And so I felt 
shame the most when I felt like I, I now have a failed marriage, you know, and now like, and especially in the church, like, I mean, we, that's a, a whole different conversation for another right. day, like mm -hmm. recognizing that, like, you know, the evangelical world is leading the world or, you know, we're beating the secular world in divorce rates. And so to have yeah. that kind of linging over my head of like, I'm now a contributor to this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah or I have failed. And then really at the end of the day, it's like, you, I took on that, that, that inner voice, that critic that was like, well, this is also probably your fault. And, um, if you were, you know, fill in the blank, if you were prettier, if you were, you know, smarter, if you were this, if you were better, if you were better wife, if you were all of these things, if you were this person, it's like, we take on so much responsibility, like on ourselves like we put on this like unnecessary pressure that somehow like, mm -hmm. not only did this now happen to us, we carry the shame of this is our story, but now that we also carry, like, there's so many layers, right. Of well, I, I probably, ca I caused this, you know? And so I think really because the first piece is that it's so isolating and like, it really isn't the narrative and it's, right. <laughs> it's such an ugly, it's such an ugly thing to walk out and to walk through, you right. know, it's like, Absolutely. you know, people don't, I, I think keep a lot of shame on, you know, as, as many other stories of survival as really kind of as they do on this, because right. it's so messy and scandalous. And like, there's just so many pieces involved and, you know, and it affects everyone, especially with divorce. And especially when there's children, like the body count is just everywhere. Right. And it's overwhelming. And it's a lot of the reasons a, a lot of people don't see themselves through, through to the end, you know, and right. they can't, get the help that they need. And because it is so overwhelming that you kind of just freeze, you know, I, my body went to kind of fight, flight, freeze. I forget the order, but yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it stay you there for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. We're all of them. And so <laughs> it's like, if I could encourage anyone who has lived through this, if this is their experience now, like to know that this is, um, there is, there are so many, re there are resources available. I didn't know this at the time. I had no one. Like, I remember calling someone and saying, who do you know that has survived this? Who do you know that, like, they understand the pain of this? I don't have to say very much for them to understand. And I remember this yeah. person saying, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone that's lived through this. I maybe can connect you with this person in another state or whatever. Um, and so but now knowing the resources that I have now, like to be able to, I think, kind of break free from that, like really first the, the shame of like, you know, those, the inner critic, like to know that you don't actually have to walk through this alone. Yes. That there, are, there are people that will get their hands dirty with you. They really right. will. That was like one of the most surprising redemptive things that happened to me that people like they sat with me yeah they didn't they didn't rush me to be in some uh, some milestone in my grief that I should have been like right they just sat with me they got their hands dirty they held space for every emotion that I had they held like they were a oh. wall I could slam into and to know that there are people out there like that um was I I mean really the best thing that could happen. And so I want to encourage women that there, there are, <laughs> this is available to them. Like they don't have to 
sit in the shame that somehow they are a failure or that because right. they have a failed marriage that that is also who they are you know like this isn't this doesn't have to be this full-blown like attack on their identity or that they somehow have failed right. as a person i see my yeah, I think I think so much of the world sees divorce as as failure. And for me, I got really healed from shame when I saw it as freedom. Mm -hmm. That like the exit that was provided to me was God's mercy. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like exit was mercy. Um, you know, and that's it's a different narrative that we take on in the church. It's right. not when you hear the most about, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis and this focus on the finality of divorce of mm -hmm. like, oh, well, they just, they just gave up. There's a lot of misconceptions around the subject of divorce. And we can talk about that all day, but it's it, that those are just other things that I had to really get free from that. Right. I felt shame wow. over kind of un, under this umbrella of like failure. Absolutely. And it wasn't until I saw it as mercy and it wasn't until I saw it as freedom. Like, and it's funny because even after my separation, I lost my job. And um, mm -hmm. so this is all in 2019. So I literally lost everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in the DHS office, like I'm now a single mother, like single co-parent now on welfare, mm -hmm. walking through hell. And I remember sitting in my car like getting my food stamp cards and just bawling my eyes out yeah but like also not caring i didn't care anymore because i was free mm -hmm. you know i was free and it's like i had lost everything and my world had completely blown up around me and i just didn't care anymore because i was like i'm i feel so i feel free like right like when the veil of abuse was lifted for me, I was like, I was walking in mercy and I was walking in freedom. And so I want women to know that like they can reach out to people like there are safe people like, you know, because when you when when this happens to you, like part of the shame, the judgment that comes on yourself is that like you kind of have a lot of for me, I had some self-hatred because I was like, I can't trust myself. Right. I didn't. I, I, I now no longer can trust my inner, like, you know, the inner voice, you know, I, I don't have discernment, like, right. And, yeah. um, so it's just this compounded, right. Compounded layers of shame. And so it's like, you feel like you can't trust yourself. And so then if you feel like you can't trust yourself, you can't trust anybody else. And right. so this is why the majority of a lot of women that walk through these stories of like secrecy and infidelity don't feel like they can reach out to anybody is because right. they feel like the world will betray them too. Absolutely. And, um, and so I just, I want women to know that like, that really is just kind of the voice of shame. Like that's actually, it's not truth. Like it's, right. there are so many amazing people, like the gift to me were all these left fielders and all the people that I didn't expect, mm -hmm. um, to find me, you know, right. and to, just like to sit with me and to know that like my anger and rage didn't scare them. Right. <laughs> it didn't yes. push, it didn't push them away when I thought it should have, you right. know? Um, and, you know, to allow yourself to be vulnerable, to allow people to see the most, like the ugliest parts of yourself. Right. Um, that was, that was 
I don't, I can't even describe it. Um, was so healing to know that there were people available to me that saw me like that and loved me still Mm -hmm. and loved me through. Um, so that was, yeah, that's kind of long winded. No, it's so good. And I think it's, it's that you touched on it earlier, but it's that like, we all need Jesus with clothes on, right? right? Like, especially when you lose a primary relationship like that, like we need so much more support around us. And, and I, I love all of the keys that you shared in here because you're not just, you know, you're not just sharing about the pain and the yuck and the heart, and all of a sudden it becomes really heavy, right? For somebody who's listening to it, you're sharing like, this is how you walk through it. There is a way out. And I just, I love, um, I love how you dug your heels in on that. And I know that it wasn't easy and I know that it was a daily choice and a surrender and a fight and, you know, all of the things in there. But I just want to say thank you for sharing your story Um, because I know that there are people listening um, that are going to find hope maybe for the first time that their, their ending doesn't have to look like the tape that's playing in their head. Right. Or like divorce is the only end or all of the stories that float around when we're walking through pain. So I just want to thank you, Amy, for taking the time today to be brave and share. And you did such a beautiful job of walking that tension of owning your story, but not stepping into like exposing all the things that, that aren't, you know, that it's not really necessary even for where you are right now. So thank you for taking the time to be on with us today. Thanks for having me. Like Amy are walking through infidelity, recovering from infidelity, um, divorce, marriage troubles. I want to invite you to click the link um, in the show notes because there are several resources for you to get to get connected with different community groups, different support groups, um, and find something local in your area that will help you to walk through this in a way that leads to freedom. Um, if you are a listener and you're just following along at the stories, but you're recognizing some patterns of shame in your own life, then I want to invite you to the Stop the Shame Cycle three-week immersive Bible study. And in this Bible study, I don't really know what else to call it, um, you're going to have access to the video training where I walk you through the different elements of shame and actually how to rewrite your story with the Holy Spirit um, to really tackle shame, get rid of it, and come to a place of self-compassion, self-validation, and understanding of truth with the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and make sure to click the show notes for that link as well. And thank you so much for listening.